Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. John White, WebMD's Chief Medical Officer and host of the Spotlight On series from WebMD's Health Discovered podcast. For this special two-part episode, you'll hear up-close and personal journeys about being diagnosed with a rare type of cancer, multiple myeloma. He looked at me. I have been his patient for more than 20 years. And he said, this is really strange. You're an African-American, age 57. I've never seen this before. This back pain that you're continually having with no signs of osteoporosis. No signs, exactly. And I didn't have any signs of osteoporosis in my family history. Listen to Health Discovered on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcasts. The Tunnel to Towers 9-11 Institute provides educators access to nonfiction 9-11 resources for K-12, first-person curriculum with video, Discovering Heroes book series for kids, and a speakers bureau with access to 9-11 first responders, survivors, and loved ones. A high-tech 83-foot tractor trailer that transforms into an interactive museum with artifacts and Russell F. Siller Memorial Scholarships for exemplary high school students of program recipients preparing for college. Never forget, donate $11 a month to Tunnel to Towers at T2T.org. What is going on, Billy Sports fam? It's your favorite history teacher, Mr. Parker Ainsworth, here's another episode of FN Sports, the podcast where teachers grade sports biggest issues. Today we got some hockey talk and some basketball talk, and some guests to help us with both. But before we do all of that, let's dive into some gold stars and detentions. First gold star goes to LSU for one of the cooler fake punts I've seen in a while. When taking on Alabama, you got to do whatever you got to do to find a way to get the ball in the end zone, and that includes going for it on fourth down. LSU lined up in a punt formation, after catching the snap, the punter ran at the line of scrimmage and did the Tebow-style jump pass for a first down. Gotta love a good jump pass. I think the tweet that embodies this entire play the best was one by the ringer's Kevin Clark. Kevin Clark points out that one thing that is wonderful about the last, say, decade of football is realizing how many plays that look like they would have been invented by a 10-year-old in the backyard are actually incredibly effective at the highest levels of the game because that's exactly what happened to LSU. Shout out to LSU for that play and gold star to the Tigers. Second gold star goes to a specific action of Drake's. I'm going to make sure very clear that it's a specific action of Drake's after the kind of week Drake just had in the last week or 10 days. But Drake was very much into, via his Instagram story, the idea of getting the WNBA into the city of Toronto. He thinks that the WNBA needs to expand there. He posted so on his story and posted a handful of different WNBA pictures and captions across the week. Shout out to Drake for trying this. I would say Drake probably has the cash to get this started, so maybe it's time to get the ball rolling. Drizzy, shout out to Drake for focusing on trying to bring the WNBA to another great basketball market. Last, I'm going to give a gold star to, I guess we'll say sports writer, but really pop culture writer Shea Serrano for being the first Mexican-American to have four New York Times best-selling books after Hip Hop and Other Things came out. Hip Hop and Other Things is a great, great read. Artwork by Arturo Torres. 
You've also got a forward in the hip-hop book by Bun B from UGK. We are going to call Shay a basketball or a sports writer as well, though, for his work with basketball and other things, as well as a handful of different Spurs-related topics. Great, great follow, great, great sports writer, great, great writer in general. A lot of fun always. And, fun fact, former science teacher. Shout out to Shay Serrano, gold star for making history. All right, we're going to give out a detention. Some of these detentions, I think, are probably a little obvious, but the first one is going to go to the NFL. After a number of these, going to go to the NFL. We're going to stick with Aaron Rodgers getting detention this week. Uh, Aaron Rodgers gets detention. Even though he's gotten a number of gold stars in the past for a handful of different things here. One, this week it came to light that he did publicly lie about being vaccinated, and I don't like the amount of gray air that's going into this one. Uh, folks are saying, well, he said the word immunize, and da, da, da. but the question he was bluntly asked in August was, are you vaccinated? And the first word out of his mouth was, yeah, I'm immunized. Now, I get that people are focusing on the word immunized and trying to say that's not a lie, but you just don't say yeah in that situation if you're not vaccinated. So we're going to detention the lying there. We're also going to detention a number of different things he said in going on the Pat McAfee show on Friday. I will say, first and foremost, I appreciate the vulnerability and access Aaron has. Instead of giving all of us space to just speculate, he went out and talked and spoke. And so I don't want to necessarily say I'm opposed to athletes doing that. But man, there was a lot of weird or icky or not so great or not so well thought out stuff coming out of the Rogers interview. There were some bright spots, right, where he said, you know, the reason he didn't get one mRNA vaccines is because he's got an allergy to stuff in the mRNA vaccines. That actually helps explain the situation a little bit. There are other options. That does help explain the stuff a little bit. But a lot of the thoughts they went into about like Invermectin or all of the different, well, if people are, the vaccine's so great, people are still getting it. Like, just clearly not understanding some of the science behind a lot of things. And he never addressed the lying. He, he argued that he did not lie. And so just a lot of detentions all the way around for Aaron Rodgers from the last week. I guess, to be fair, he's got two weeks at home to think about it now. So let's think about it a little bit, Aaron. Second detention goes to the Henry Rugg situation. I, I will say that I don't know how much needs to be expounded upon here. It looks like Henry Ruggs is very seriously facing a lot of time in prison. For those who don't know, Henry Ruggs was clocked in going over 150 miles an hour in a car in Las Vegas, not too far off the strip with a blood alcohol content of 156, which is almost twice the legal limit. I don't know how you're supposed to at all find redeeming qualities in any of that. I just have to say that he gets attention for this because everyone doing any form of drunk driving deserves to sit in at least attention, if not worse, for a long, long time. But I just don't know how much more to expound upon this because I think it's kind of painfully obvious. Everyone understands what the situation was and what the problems are. And so I don't feel the need to necessarily go too much farther into this, but uh, detention to Henry Ruggs, and that's uh, that's a, a rough, rough spot. The last in a trio of football-related detentions goes to just kind of every party involved in the Odell Beckham Cleveland Browns saga. For those who don't understand or don't realize, Odell Beckham was released by the Cleveland Browns last week. Friday morning, it was announced that he was, they were working towards a contract negotiation in which he would be released and then able to go join other teams. Odell Beckham has had a, uh, we'll say, rough time in Cleveland. Beckham, for analytics nerds and statisticians, has actually opened a lot and has actually maintained his level of excellence as far as route running goes and his speed goes. But he's not producing. He's not getting the ball a lot. And and he's 
kind of turned into somewhat a distraction, not by his own doing like he was in New York, but it's become this constant back and forth of media questioning why Odell Beckham is not performing and why is he not getting the ball. And that in itself has become a distraction because Baker Mayfield can't get him the ball and those kinds of things. So much so that it finally came down to a boiling point this week, or this past week, I should say, when his father reposted a video of people breaking down all the times Baker missed Odell Beckham. That didn't sit particularly well with the Browns. I imagine it probably didn't sit particularly well with Odell either, but no one asked him, and they worked towards releasing him by the end of the week. Detention just kind of all the way around. uh, It's a shame we couldn't get it to work. It's a shame that that's how Odell's got to go out, and that's a good football team and a good football player, and you just never want to see things break down like that. So we're going to detention there to try and sit in detention and think about how to work things out better next time. All right, so like we said, we have a special hockey and basketball-themed episode, although we're talking about a lot of stuff off the court. So uh, we had to bring in some experts to help us break down both hockey and basketball topics. So without further ado, let's dive into some hockey. All right, so we are joined here by Ken Cumming of the Bleacher Connection podcast. Ken, how are you doing today? Not too bad, Parker. Thanks for having me on. Ken joins us as a, we'll call a substitute teacher of sorts, here to be an, our hockey expert for the day. Belly Up's got a lot of great hockey talk. The Bleacher Connection's a great show. You'll go check it out if you need more hockey talk. But Ken, the thesis for today is about all that's gone on in Chicago in really the last, I want to say, 10 days or two weeks. But I guess technically you could go back more than a decade. The thesis reads, the Jeremy Colleton firing is not enough of a distraction, nor does it end the Blackhawks scandal. You hear that thesis, and you give it what kind of grade? Oh, for that, I think it's it's very accurate. It doesn't take it away. So, I mean, on that sense, if you're going to talk about it not being taking away or being a distraction, it's got to be got to be B plus. <laughs> I'm also thinking around that B plus A minus range. All right. So we're both high, but not super high on the thesis. Uh, Jeremy Colleton firing is not enough of a distraction, nor does it end the Chicago Blackhawks scandal. So for the folks at home, Ken, you know, we talk about hockey not even quite once a month. So I don't know if folks at home necessarily are following hockey super closely right now. Can you help us out? What exactly is the Chicago Blackhawks scandal? What's going on there? So came out kind of the last little while, last, you know, six months or so, or a little bit longer, the... Rick uh, West said he's a reporter for TSN really dove into this story about the sexual abuse scandal that came out of the Blackhawks in their 2010 Stanley cup run. What happened was they had a video coach who was accused by a player of sexually assaulting him during that time. The player went up until just recently as John Doe. Uh, most anyone knew he was uh, referred to as a, he was part of the black ACE team who skates with the roster during the playoffs and if there's an injury can be brought in what happened was john doe who we just recently found out was kyle beach went to his executives he went to his his coaches his gms and told them what had happened and this was right after they won the western conference championship they were going into the stanley cup and the executives and coaching staff Joel Quinville was the coach. Stan Bowman was the general manager. Kevin Dayoff was the assistant general manager. And then you had McIsaac, I believe, was the president. They all had a meeting about it. 
and they all chose to focus on winning the Stanley Cup rather than dealing with this. Fast forward through, they win the Stanley Cup. Nothing happens about nothing happens. The gentleman who was accused of this, Aldrich, was essentially he left the team. Whether that was they said you need to go and we'll do it quietly, or however that went, they they wrote him a glowing recommendation where he went on to then work with I think a high school team or at that high school level and assaulted a 16 year old who pressed charges. And I believe Aldrich has done time for that or is doing time, but the Blackhawks, the NHL, and I don't know exactly the NHL says they just learned about it in the off season or about within the last year, the NHLPA also knew no one did anything. And what, is really frustrating about this. And, you know, we, we graded the thesis, the Blackhawks, the NHLPA, Blackhawks as an organization, Kyle Beach's teammates, they all get an F. And, you know, my co-host Trevor, who, he said they should get an F minus. He made a new grade for that because of how <laughs> poorly it was handled. Throws because no one did it. Kyle Beach, after everything happened in 2010, going into the next season, and even in that time, was getting homophobic slurs thrown at him on the ice by his teammates and there's players uh brent sopel was on that team nick boynton there's some other players who came out and and said during this report everybody knew everybody knew what was going on what had happened no one did anything and fast forward a decade later stan bowman and mcisaac are not relieved they're allowed to step away which I mean, I think means the Blackhawks don't have to pay him for firing them because they're still under contract. Joel Quinville, who is now was coaching in Florida with the Panthers, he steps aside from his job and is out of the league. And Kevin Shoveldayoff somehow, after meeting with Gary Bettman in the NHL, kept his job. They said he wasn't a senior executive, but as I've said on on our show, I don't know how. You don't consider an assistant general manager a senior executive on a team. They all said that they knew something about it. They all failed Kyle Beach. And it's just honestly, it's a very disgusting story. And it really, it it's unfortunate for Kyle Beach that no one did anything for him. And he gave a quite a powerful interview with Rick Westhead on TSN which is uh, Canada's ESPN, ESPN, where he actually apologized to the 16-year-old who was also assaulted. And it, that was very tough to watch because he took so much blame for that, even though he did try and bring it to the forefront to be dealt with well before that could have happened. So it's a very unfortunate incident, and it could have a lot of it could have been fixed and stopped a long time ago. Just someone had to stand up and do the right thing. Yeah, and I think what's fascinating here and what Beach alludes to in his own guilt is not that Beach should be the one that feels guilty about this, but had no one's even necessarily saying or going back and saying that the infrastructure that created the Beach situation necessarily, right? It's all about what would have happened after what happened to Beach, right? We could get deeper into the weeds here and be like, well, what even allowed that to happen in the first place? But that's not necessarily where people are going. It's been more about like had anyone done anything following that like the proper protocols and follow-ups following the beach situation this guy's never hired 
by a school. Like at the very least, he's not allowed around children, right? Like 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 long term, he's clearly fired. The same, you know, he ends up getting fired to let go. You said, like I said, it was a little hush hush. It probably wouldn't have been hush hush, and he certainly never gets picked up by a school. And it's awful to think about, you know, because we have one of our John Doe's here named in Cal Beach. But the truth is, is that the inaction then leads to to further problems later. I gotta say, it's interesting. The the Chicago Blackhawks take a lot of obviously you know blame the black mark or whatever for this. But can you talk to me about the fallout because so much of that 2010 team is either out of the league or dispersed or you know what what has been the fallout in the last month, Ken? Since it's not like you know, if it had been the the fall of 2011, a lot more of those guys would have still been in Blackhawk jerseys, right? And and Blackhawk in the in the building, right, uh, in Chicago. And so, since that's not the case, what else happened in the last month or so? The report, which I I, was, I haven't read, seen some pieces and things. It's 107 pages, and there were, I believe it was 35 or 37 people who were a part of that team that refused to participate in the uh, investigation, the independent investigation. Now, for the ones that are no longer in the league right now, they're some of the most vocal in saying, yes, this happened. We know what was going on. And I think they've also, you know, said they should have done more. It, it, all it would have taken is two, three people to step forward and say, this needs to be dealt with. When you think of sports, you think of that team camaraderie. If everyone on the team knew like the players are saying, they all should have skated off the ice and said, we're not playing till this is dealt with. We don't care that this is a Stanley Cup. This is a teammate. This is someone we sit next to. We will fight for on the ice. No one fought for him, and they just let it go. So the guys that are out of the league, they've been the most vocal. The ones that are still in the league, uh, Jonathan Taves, Patrick Kane, Duncan Keith, Andrew Ladd, Andrew Ladd, I haven't heard much of anything from. Duncan Keith said he knew nothing of it. He didn't know. He only found out uh, recently who it was. He only had heard about it when the report came public not that long ago. He didn't know. And he got roasted for that. Patrick Kane, same, similar statement. Didn't know, didn't know, didn't know up until now. Jonathan Taves, the captain, who everyone calls such a great leader in hockey. Great captain. He made a statement that it was just, for me, cringeworthy in that he said that he didn't really know what was going on. It didn't seem like Stan Bowman and I think it's Al McIsaac. It didn't seem like their character, you know, but he understands them having to go. But then he also somewhat defended them because those guys never did any wrong to, by him. So as long as they didn't do any wrong to him and they treated him well, it was almost like a you get your pass. So the players that are still in the league are very tight-lipped about it. Duncan Keith did say, and probably threw some pressure after getting, you know, a little roasted online, like a lot of these guys have, that he wished he had participated. If he could do it differently, well, then go do it. Mm -hmm. What's stopping you from going to the league or going to the NHLPA, somebody and saying, hey, I didn't participate, I didn't feel comfortable, whatever it was. Because he just left the Blackhawks in the offseason. He's now in Edmonton. So he had an opportunity, he still does, to come forward with what he knows and what was done. But as it stands right now, the players are kind of getting off a little scot-free. And if some of the stuff that was said is true, 
they should all face some kind of penalty for it because it's that kind of behavior and culture is not, not acceptable. Can't have that in sports or in the real world. Yeah. And they had, you know, you mentioned several of them, Kane, Keith, Sharp, Taze, even hosted to some degree. Like they had names that I, I pulled up the roster to make sure I was thinking about the right team because this really was, it had elements of being a dynastic hockey print, right? They're really good from like, Oh nine until like, Oh, like 13. Right. If I'm being right. Yeah. This is happening behind closed doors and not necessarily by any of these all stars, all Americans, all everything's, but it's certainly happening in their presence. Like they're, they're not too far removed from this. And it, and it feels the same way that like, you know, if you're a basketball person, this is the dynastic Lakers. If you, if you're a, a baseball person, the Astros have been to ALCS the last five years in a row. This is kind of in the same vein or the Yankees of most, you know, most decades that would be the Yankees or whatever, right? Like this is the team that kind of dominated the sport there for a while. This is happening behind closed doors, but in their building, right? One of the pieces that came out of it too, like when you talk about hockey culture, Trevor and I on our show have talked a lot about how it has to change because, and even to that extent with pro sports in general, there's that winning over culture and character. We don't care what goes on as long as we're winning. Akeem Alou, he was kind of blacklisted in juniors in Canada because he refused to participate in the hazing rituals that would go on. And some of them, some of the stuff that's come out is pretty nasty. And he refused. So he was deemed a problem player. Well, he was part of that Blackhawks organization in 2010 in Rockford in their AHL affiliate. And the head coach there called him the N-word the same season. So the, 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 cult, the Blackhawks organization that year was just rotten to the core at the NHL level and below. And even still, he was roasted. He was put as a problem player throughout his career because he stood up to the problematic behaviors. Kyle Beach, after his contract was done with Chicago, there were so many pictures and things put out online that showed the headlines about Kyle Beach. Oh, he's he was drafted 11th overall, which is quite high and you comes with a lot of expectations. He was labeled as a bust. He was labeled as a underachiever he was labeled as a you know horrible player in the media well no kidding you look at what he now went through and you can understand why hockey wasn't fun for him or why he wasn't in it at the time so it's quite quite disturbing a lot of things need to change and glad he brought it forward and and i applaud him for putting his name out there to it saying this happened to me because maybe it'll help others come forward and it'll, it'll actually create some change. And you segue me perfectly, Ken, because my next question was going to be, if this can happen to that dynastic top of the line team, is this the kind of thing that is just so awful? It's a one-off or is this really speak to bigger potential problems? You mentioned people putting winning above all things, including morality, right? There's also for an outsider like myself appears to be like, some degree of this is obviously above and beyond it, but there there seems to be some degree of hazing culture in hockey, and and there's a real boys will be boys kind of aspect when we look at that hazing culture. This was way too far, right? This is a different issue, but is is there some of that to be discussed here after all of this that's going on, or, or where's that going to go? I, I think it. I think it hopefully will create change because a lot of this comes down to 
within hockey, there is that holding power over people. Now, whether you're a coach, scout, whatever, you're able to manipulate people because you hold the power. If you tell a coach or a GM something that, hey, this player isn't doing X, Y, or Z or is a problem because of this, they hold that power. So I think until that some of that stuff changes, I think it, it it's got it's going to be happening at all levels and all different teams because people get a hold of that power and it kind of it corrupts, right? So I think the the players I know are very upset with the NHLPA because they didn't do anything, and it sounds like there may be change at that level. So yeah, I hopefully this does drive change, and it, so far, at least on the player side, they might be the first ones behind the wheel doing that. Well, and Ken, tell us where we can find your show. Uh, because I think if people want to c- keep checking in on hockey, you're going to be one of the people to listen to on this. Um, where can people find you? Uh, it's you and Trevor, right? So where can people find Correct. what y'all are doing? It, it, tell us where to find you. So on Twitter, I'm at the bleacher con two. Trevor, my our co-host is at the bleacher con one. Our show is available at on Apple, Spotify, Google, uh, Spreaker, Pretty much everywhere you can download podcasts, you can find us there. Uh, Every Monday at noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern, we're on Unhinged uh, Radio, which is unhingedsn.airtime.pro. And yeah, that kind of covers everywhere that we are. So be sure to check out The Bleacher Connection. Uh, Ken specifically is at TheBleacherCon2 on Twitter. Thank you for coming on today, Ken. No problem. Thanks for having me. Okay, Parker, so the thesis statement for this commercial is James Harden has the best beard in sports. What do you think about that thesis statement? Oh, I give it an A. You know, as a Houston guy, we, we seem to have an affinity for our beards between guys like him, Dallas Keiko, lots of big beards in the Houston area. What do you think about the thesis? So I'm a Jets fan, and I absolutely love the beard that Ryan Fitzpatrick has. So maybe I would give Ryan Fitzpatrick the nod over James Harden. But you're talking to a couple of bearded teachers, and we know a thing or two about making sure that you maintain that mane. So check out the beard struggle. The beard struggle, they make oils, they make balms, they even have have this heated comb to make sure that you get your beard straight so that you're looking fresh. I know I've really enjoyed using the oil they make for my quarantine beard of sorts. It's nice and long these days, but <laughs> it'll keep it nice and healthy and hydrated. And if you're listening to our show, you can use FN Sports 15 and get 15% off your oils, your balms, your shampoos, conditioners, whatever you need to use to keep your beard looking healthy. Absolutely. Check out The Beard Struggle at thebeardstruggle.com. Whether you're just starting to grow or you have a luscious mane already, The Beard Struggle's got all the products that you need. The Beard Struggle. Feast your face. All right. We are rejoined by what's turning into a relatively frequent guest. (laughs) We got Ryan coming on off for more basketball talk this week. Ryan, how are we doing today, bud? doing doing well it's a sunday morning getting ready for for me anyways on the west coast so getting ready for sunday football you're you're lucky at texas i I wish i lived back there 12 o'clock is such a great start time for for sunday football for sure but doing great 12 o'clock start time's good i think the interesting living in texas versus the east coast is then the night game does not go too terribly late either there's a nice balance dude i'm telling you when i lived (laughs) when i lived in texas that central time zone despite it would just be nba playoff games those those still get late you know those what yeah, yeah. nine thirty starts, but for football, it is it is perfect. <laughs> Definitely. Speaking of 
I say playoff bound teams, I guess it's super early, but the Phoenix Suns were just in the Western Conference Finals and they find themselves in the news again in the last week for non-basketball things. (laughs) And the interesting thread here is Chris Paul is linked to a bunch of different of these. He's been linked not by any of his own doing to a bunch of these off the floor issues. We'll dive more specifically into them in a second, but we threw this out to the Twitter crowd and asked them to kind of help us create a thesis for what is the worst thing that the NBA has put Chris Paul through. The options were being on the New Orleans at the time Hornets during Katrina. They, of course, played in Oklahoma City. Uh, That got 29%. Uh, The current situation of playing for Robert Sarver only got 13% of the vote. Other got 18%. And there were several replies in that other that implied not getting traded to the LA Lakers was really a big deal. (laughs) But a resounding winner here was 40% said playing for Donald Sterling. So the thesis for this week is playing for Donald Sterling is the worst thing the NBA has put Chris Paul through. You hear that and you think what? I would say a B, probably uh, a B, and that would mostly be just because a lot of it I don't necessarily see like the NF or the NFL, the NBA forcing onto Chris Paul in a way. So I can't necessarily. I'm not going to say I'm going to go like A and fault the NBA per se for <laughs> Chris Paul continually ending up in kind of some interesting situations. Uh, besides the Lakers one, the Lakers one is uh, that was much that more was stern. A, yeah, that was, that was much more an NBA I- hand. But yeah, I'd I give it a B. I said it like a B as well. We'll dive in more in a second. It is weird that he's the president of Players Association. This always seems happening. I know it is. Uh, it is interesting. I know I threw that in the in the chat for Belly Up the Miles Brown thread of like, how does this always happen to this guy? And so yeah, I think it. I think it's worth exploring, even if it it might be more of a coincidence than than anything else. All right, Ryan. So we both gave this a hot. We're both in the same range on this. I'll say right that Chris Paul playing for Donald Sterling was awful. For those folks who don't remember, the Donald Sterling thing blew up in a way so much so that not just Chris Paul, a number of the Clippers hesitated. They wondered about even going out to play a playoff game. Right, a, a very good Clippers team, Mob City team, debated skipping out and forfeiting a playoff game. They ended up going out and warming up without Clippers on their chests and and kind of a symbolic gesture. The NBA very short thereafter canned Don Sterling. He had a whopping punishment of getting $2.2 billion for selling his Clippers team. <laughs> Without going too in detail on that, the reason it comes up this week is because of the Robert Sarver situation. So for those who have not read the ESPN article, uh, Ryan, walk us through what is the Sarver situation and why are these even comparable? So, I mean, the Sarver situation boils down to, I would say, from reading that article, is an overall toxic work environment led by the person in charge, Robert Sarver being the general managing partner of the Phoenix Suns. And kind of, it sounds like everything flowing from his personality of I'm in charge. I have the power. I can do what I want. So uh, one quote I wanted to read, and I think it was indicative of the whole, this whole report and everything coming out from his former staffer, the Phoenix Suns. He says, a lot of the stuff he being Robert Sarver says is to get a big reaction. And who's going to tell him that he can't? He speaks in threats. He likes the awkwardness. He likes people to know that he's in charge. He wants control. He wants control of every situation and every person. And later in the article, there was also a member of the ownership group that said he's not clueless. He's doing it because he has power. And that's what I think the biggest thing 
out of this is and and then you get into you know is he racist or saying racially insensitive jokes or comments you know there's multiple times of him not himself calling black people the n-word but directly quoting it time after time after being told like dude stop like that's not cool and he seems to and i want to i would clarify he's not saying the same way you just in a way quoted him but used the phrase inward he's not using that phrase right? exactly. <laughs> like, yes. like he's he, making he's the actually, quote he's act, he's actively using it and and i do think there is a distinction between just calling people the n-word and quoting other people but you don't necessarily have to say the word you know the whole there's quite a few anonymous quotes from female staffers in there of being demeaned and i think that goes back to he likes awkwardness and what comes from that is saying potentially insensitive things that you might perceive as a joke, Mr. Robert Sarver in power, but those underneath you don't, and they can't see it the same way because like when it comes down to it, if Robert Sarver wants you gone, you're gone. And, and, and then that can follow you throughout your career if you want to stay in the NBA and stuff. So to me, it's, it's just another one of those cases, the cases that we've been understanding, I guess, more of, I don't even know more of, but of billionaires in general, having power, knowing that they have power and, wielding it in ways that they know that they can't because they cannot be ousted. And there was also in that article, a, I guess there was like a movement within the Suns ownership group back in the day of trying to get Robert Sarver out. And they looked at the contract and it was like so ironclad that it was basically going to be impossible to get him out as a general managing partner. So again, he knows he has impunity, you know, to do, to do what he wants. And I think, I think that's where the similarities with the Donald Sterling thing come in. I think, I mean, I definitely think there are some differences. There's much more documented cases, both with the Clippers and in his business practices of Donald Sterling straight up. I mean, again, don't know him personally, so can't necessarily say that he's a racist, but doing things that are like, you are discriminatory at the very least and are preying upon people in ways that are even more than just words. You're actually trying to evict them from their homes or not set, or not renting to them and things like that that I think spoke to a more insidious, longer pattern, like worse pattern, I guess I would say, of Donald Sterling. But the, it comes down to, I have all this money. You're not going to step to me. You're not going to try and sue me because you will be depleted in your bank account and I will just keep going. I'm not suffering from having to really relive these things that affected me. Like to me, it's just like, oh, I just said a joke. Who cares? And, you know, whether it be about Magic Johnson or in this case, the myriad of things that are chronicled throughout this article down to we should impregnate, get Suns players to impregnate strippers so that they want to go to Phoenix and unverified, like we don't, but it's like, there's so many of these things coming out about Robert Sarver that at a certain point, I mean, we can kind of connect the dots and at least assume some of them are true. Wouldn't you think? Well, and yes, completely. And I think the, telling thing on Sarver just like I would have said the telling thing on Sterling is this report comes out and there's not this like clamoring of people like oh that's not the Robert Sarver I like who's <laughs> like no one's saying that about either of these I people. mean there's there, there was a like James Jones in there Steve Kerr was quoted but it was very much like I've never heard it personally myself or uh, Amin El Hassan, who's in the media now, who worked for the Suns when Sarver was there, he's even he's like, I never personally heard him say anything racist. I mean, uh, from the Sudan, African American. Well, I don't know if he would be considered African, African immigrant, right? African, oh, uh, yeah. Anyways, yeah. anyways, he's black, and he's like, I never heard 
any of this stuff specifically, which is fine. You know, we all have our own individual experiences, but he, I mean, also like none of this stuff surprises me. He's even <laughs> said, I was listening to his, uh, the podcast he goes on with Tom Havistro today. And it means like it was weird reading the article because these are direct quotes from me in the article. And I didn't even talk to the guy who wrote it. So somehow my quotes got around and, and it was basically none of this stuff surprises me, you know, like yeah. even if it wasn't to me specifically, or I overheard it this. Yeah, you're right. Nobody's backing Robert Sarver. It's like, there's no way he could have been doing this stuff. Well, and even hearing, so like, Steve Kerr is interesting because it's like you said, his stance was something along the lines of, and I'm paraphrasing, you know, he didn't do any of this to me. And that's as strong as Steve could say. And the truth is, Steve is another white male. These kinds of issues were not going to happen. Steve Kerr. And and that's stronger than anything that happened with Sterling. I, I do think it's interesting that we're not quite 10 years removed from Sterling and we're at another billionaire owner doing these kinds of things. There was a little bit different situation in Dallas, right? Uh, the Cuban situation with the sexual harassment where Mark Cuban kind of, you know, made some moves in the like hirings and firings to like try and fix it. And then was able to say, you know, I didn't know about that once I found out about it, whatever. And people, the question was like, well, how could you not know about that? And like, there's some people that say like, maybe Marky Mark is really so locked into his office and focused on wearing t-shirts and jeans, at basketball games that he really doesn't know. Um, I, that is a little bit different, but it's still a high operating billion dollar corporation with this happening at the top, even if it wasn't Mark himself. Right. Is there something to, are we just, are we, Post me too. Are we going to get one of these every four or five years because these are billion dollar corporations or what's, what's going on here? I think that just in general, people are more open to the machinations that go on behind the scenes in these powerful entities, whether it's, yeah, I mean, we could just use gigantic money-making enterprises, whether it's private business, public business, you know, the government, things like that. And so people are more open to it. So you're going to get more reporters kind of sniffing around this kind of stuff. I think Henry Abbott, who runs True Hoop on Substack, he, he's been doing like, he's on like a 17 part expose basically about chronicling all this billionaire money through uh, private equity, through Apollo, mm -hmm. Apollo Global that is coming to the NBA. And I think two former big wigs that used to work there one owns the sixers now one owns the hawks and then all the money in these underbelly worlds connected to jeffrey epstein the cia oil money all over the world you know oligarchs all over the world and i think people just in general we're having a bigger distrust of these institutions like hmm maybe all this you know fuzzy feel good it's just sports in this particular instance isn't what we actually thought it was maybe there is a you know, insidious underbelly to it. And because people are more interested, I think it will drive certain reporters to to go after this stuff. A lot are going to make the decision not to, because if I do, I, same thing like a whistleblower, I could be excommunicated out of this, you know, NBA sports journalism community. And I got to go like kind of find another angle for this employment of writing that I want to do. So I do think there is a balance between that. But yeah, I think that people have an appetite for this and where there's an appetite, we are going to get people sniffing around and trying to expose this stuff that I think it's probably pretty easy to say it's prevalent <laughs> wherever we're going to look in these big, it, big right. And I guess the only, the only saving grace I'd throw to basketball is that 
the assumption would just be any billion dollar organizations. It's not necessarily specific to basketball. Exactly. Right? Um, yep. it, and, and so I don't mean to make basketball or, or football or hockey or because the Blackhawks things come out in the last month, right? Mm-hmm. None of these are particularly specific and only unique to them. I, I just do think it's interesting that, that, you know, if you include the Cuban thing and what's going on with Mark Cuban and Dallas in there, it's a little bit different, but that's really three cases in less than a decade mm-hmm. uh, that we're looking at like some pretty gross stuff happening at the top. Yep. And I don't know that we had that reporting in the previous decade, right? I don't know we had, you know, anything near where there was, we didn't care about it. We didn't dive as deep into it or we didn't have the access to it or whatever the case may be. We just, or, or maybe the people just didn't think they'd get heard in the same way. You mentioned the Miles Brown tweet that kind of got my head spinning around this. Is there anything to, to make out of the fact that the through line here is Chris Paul, president of the Players Association? I mean, like, is it is it just happenstance? Is it we- like there's something weird there, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there. Some would say where there's smoke, there is fire. Now, I, I'm not, and I'm not saying that to say that Chris Paul is anyway complicit. I mean, shoot, with Robert Sarver, he's been there for one year, and reading that article, most of the stuff this chronicles <laughs> is before he even got there. You know, so, but he's the head of the Players Association he had to know about this stuff. Like it wasn't even like, shoot, Parker, you and I just paying attention to stuff knew that like this reading this article, it's kind of like, okay, this is just kind of putting in background to stuff that you already hear. If you listen to people that talk about the league and stuff, I think more. And what really, what really interested me about the miles Brown tweet was not so much saying that Chris Paul is like helping foster this kind of environment and stuff, but you're the head of the players association. And some of this stuff is going to come back on members of your union that you are leading. And, and I, and he wasn't the head of the players association with the Donald Sterling thing. So I think that is somewhat of a distinction to make, but where's his role in voicing the things that are going on behind the scenes by these the ultimate decision makers and what is the role of the union head to bring this stuff to light because it could affect your players i mean like it there's a story about conflict of interest potentially and not liking clutch sports and things of that nature which i think it's safe to say that a lot more owners than robert sarver don't like don't like sports sports. for whatever reason well but like like sarver his his reasoning behind it felt a little more icky because of his track record on race and clutch Mm -hmm. sports is a very bluntly minority owned minority run right it wasn't quite the phil jackson posse quote but like there is some ickiness to it but it's just like it's like so our you know owner are you going to be making decisions now based off of agents and it doesn't even have to be about rate it's just like i don't like this agency so i'm not going to hire them and then if you're talking to other owners and building this case of like we're you know five of us teams are going to stay away from clutch sports athletes that is that's affecting your union membership and i would say as the president you have a duty to speak out for your you know your members especially when you're somebody like chris paul that is respected that has financial security beyond reason you know because the the people that it's going to end up squeezing out are those on the lower rung right and so yeah it's like do you go along to get along who's we know who one of chris paul's best friends is it's the ceo for disney bob Iger, and who's bob Iger tight with adam silver and those three coming together to make the bubble happen while nice, cool for us fans, uh, I know the player, most of the players 
wanted, you know, wanted to finish that season and everything. But is Chris Paul almost being like Icarus and flying too close to the sun and becoming friends with, I, I don't want to say wrong people in terms of like good, bad, you know, moral stuff, but the wrong people in when you are the head of a union, who you are representing. And, but I'm, you know, great friends with the CEO and the commissioner of the NBA. And does that cloud your judgment on things like this? I think that is a valid question to, to raise. Well, and then his, his buddy, LeBron James would be in a similar boat, right? Where he is at the top of clutch on the, on the other spectrum. And frankly, he's very, he's vocalized wanting to be a billionaire player and, and what that means for him and his financials. I will say as not necessarily a counter, but a, 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 another side of this as well is that Chris Paul is as good a locker room leader as I would want leading my locker room through this mess as well. And both in both Sterling and LA and Sarver and Phoenix, having a player like Chris Paul and coaches like doc and Monty, frankly, like that's as good a leader as you could have on these things across the board. Right. Now, obviously that's not to say that like LeBron wouldn't be great or, or whomever, but, Chris Paul is a strong leader for these kinds of moments. And frankly, it's weirdly feels lucky that for the league that he has been, because you could have had a, I'm not going to throw a name under the bus, but you could have a younger, immature player that is like, yeah. man, mm-hmm. bleep this. And, the, like, and that could have just wrecked your league image. Whereas yeah. now Chris Paul sits forward and is like, we're a team. We're going to play. We're ignoring this guy. And it may, very much makes Sarver this outsider, right? Mm-hmm. And that's I, I, whole- I want to say there, there is another through line from that Clippers and this Suns thing that actually has a, a not he doesn't have a story but he has a piece in this article actually is Jamal Crawford who he was on Tom Havistro's thing a couple weeks ago his podcast a couple weeks ago and was talking about first the Donald Sterling thing before all this Robert Sarver stuff came out and just what the locker room climate was how how much Doc helped with leadership Chris Paul even Jermaine O'Neal on the Warriors who they were playing at the time t- the Warriors through Jermaine O'Neal told the Clippers, if you guys don't want to play, we won't play as well, which I thought was a pretty cool, you know, kind of solidarity thing of like, you know, we'll, we'll stand beside you guys, whatever your decision ends up being. But there's an uh, anecdote in here with Jamal Crawford where Robert Sarver goes into the training room and starts talking about like X's and O's and development with some rookie who I'd never heard, heard of his name before. So I'm guessing he, you know, in and out of the league. And Jamal Crawford it ends up, uh, staffer says Jamal Crawford ends up getting up and saying like I can't deal with this I gotta get, I'm, I'm getting out of here and leaves and then but then Jamal Crawford wouldn't comment in the for the article like it says we reached out to Jamal Crawford he declined to comment but I do think that like again Jamal Crawford's a upstanding person great teammate like you've listened to anybody that talks about him in the league it's like Jamal Crawford Jamal Crawford so even though he wouldn't comment him just being fed up with even listening to the owner and actually potentially voicing that, that two people said that he did is like, I mean, this guy, Robert Sarver was out here while, and I think it goes back to Chris Paul knew this stuff. Like he knew who he was again, he's getting traded. Like you're trying to win a championship. I don't think that I'm going to judge anybody based off of who they decide to go play for based on who that owner is. You know, I think it's especially when there's only 30 jobs. There's certainly there's 30 jobs and certainly there's a lot more that goes into it than just the owner. It's exactly. not, not a factor, right? Exactly. Um, it's not, but, not a factor, but shoot, we make, uh, we make decisions all the time in our own lives of ignoring certain things because 
of other ways that this thing can help us and benefit us, so on and so forth. So like to cast a judgment on that. But again, when you're the head of the players union, there is a little bit of a different responsibility, I think, in there. And, you know, not one to say this is what he should have done. This is what he shouldn't have done. I just think it's an interesting conversation to have. And it's in, I mean, besides that Miles Brown tweet and then us even like trying to talk about it here, I haven't really heard anybody talk about that angle. And, and it would be interesting to kind of see, obviously, people that have way more access than us or, you know, understanding of the situations and stuff, kind of explore that, you know, and, and, and kind of see where that might lead. Again, you know, probably not a right or wrong answer, but just what that might be. Definitely. And, and it, you know, there's always room for more Chris Paul content. He's, he's certainly an, a fascinating character, both on the floor and off the floor in his career, um, however much of it there is left. Ryan, where can people find you? Where can people find what you've been working on? You've been writing for us for a few months now. And where, where is that stuff? Yeah, so uh, check me out on Belly Up on the on the NBA page. I just wrote about the how kind of how the new rule changes are affecting scoring in the league. Scoring's down kind of significantly over the last couple of years. And how I personally think that that's a good thing, even though <laughs> there is, and I even linked in, in the article, um, some overcorrection of of these fouls, but I think things will balance out as everybody kind of understands this new normal. And I think that's good to me. Scoring was getting out of hand. Uh, the stats were getting out of hand and it's just like, I like some defense. I like a little bit more give and take as opposed to it becoming a truly make or miss league, you know, and, and that's what it was becoming. It's like, did they make the shots or did they not? Because the defense doesn't matter that much. So check me out on belly up, kind of percolating a couple things to write about this week. Um, you can catch me on, my podcast, The Coastal Connection, that one tends to be a lot more uh, football-centric, mostly NFL with some college college football in there. If you want to have some fun and listen to me and my buddies make some college football picks at the end of every <laughs> podcast, you can. And then you can I've, – I've made the foray into uh, being a little bit more active on Twitter. So you can find me at The Thoughts of R2, being my last name is Rodriguez, so R, um, R2 <laughs> – I can't do the little squared thing, so that, that's how that's how close it gets. But I, I tweet out my articles on there, tweet out our episodes of the Coastal Connection. Uh, maybe if I get a little engagement, I'll uh, interact a little bit more on there. But uh, yeah, I mean, you can you can find anything if you want to go back and and read some old things that I wrote and stuff, and be like, is this guy worth worth paying attention to going into the future? Definitely, <laughs> Definitely worth paying attention to. And go check out the Coastal Connection. It's a fun show. It's it's three. I want to say former. I guess I don't know if anyone's still coaching. With no, three. actually, two of them—they're now high school coaches. So one coaches at Churchill in San Antonio, and the other one coaches at Milliken High School in Long Beach. So they're still coaching. Right. And I'm just, uh, you know, an old has been now. <laughs> but talking ball in a way that coaches would talk about ball and having a good time doing it—it's—it's it's a fun show. Uh, thank you for coming on, Day Ryan. For sure. Thanks, Parker. Friends, that is another edition of F in Sports. Do you feel like you're all cut up on the stuff happening off the ice or off the floor? If you enjoyed the Hoops Talk, you're in luck. We have another episode of the Midweek Midrange this Wednesday night at 9.30 Eastern Time. We'll be live at 9.30 on YouTube and Twitter at Midweek Midrange, breaking down the latest in the NBA, both on the floor and off the floor every week. As always, the Midweek Midrange is a weekly Belly Up Sports basketball podcast at 9.30 on Wednesday nights. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Midweek Midrange or on YouTube by searching The Midweek Midrange. 
As for me, my personal stuff, which includes all my podcasting, writing, general nonsense, but the occasional tweet about the Longhorns, and a lot of sad tweets about the Rockets lately, including some L's on sneakers, although I did get a win last week, did get the green Jordan 3s, those are nice, nice, nice. Anyway, you can find all of that at Painsworth512 on Twitter and Instagram, that's at P-A-I-N-S-W-R-T-H-512 on Twitter and Instagram. This show is also on Twitter and Instagram. On Twitter, we're at FN Sports 2. That's F-I-N-S-B-R-T-S, number two, all one word. We're almost to 3,000 followers. Be sure to follow us on Twitter. On Instagram, we got a little bit smaller following, but we're at F underscore N underscore sports. That's at F underscore N underscore sports. You can also find us on Facebook by searching the FN Sports Podcast. And we have merch. Use the links in our bios on each of those social media handles to find your way to our merch store. We have a student design t-shirt, a handful of classics. Uh, We had a breast cancer awareness shirt last month. This month, we have a blue flunk shaving, no shave November or Movember t-shirt in which we're donating all the proceeds to the Movember Foundation, the Movember Foundation Helps out with a number of different men's health initiatives. And as it is Movember or No Shade November, that's where we're sending the proceeds from that blue shirt this month. Be sure to check that shirt out. Check the store out. Do all those wonderful things. If you also want to help out the podcast, be sure to like, subscribe, download, rate, review, and do all of those great, great things to help us out. But whatever you do, please remember, when it comes to sports, don't flunk with us. Later, guys. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. This holiday season, Lexus wants you to remember. Nothing feels as good as making others feel good. Those so-called feel-good holiday films? They can't hold a gingerbread-scented candle to the feeling of giving them something that gives them all the feels. Make this December one to remember, together. Click the banner to discover more. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer.